Today's lesson is Solomon the wise king. We find this in 1 Kings chapters 1 through 3. Can you imagine that the crown of a country is falling on your head? You're about to be the leader of a nation that is finally settling in peace and prosperity. Your father's one of the greatest leaders of all time, but you're young, inexperienced, and naive. Your brothers want your position. Your father's generals are nervous about your leadership skill. The expectations over you are higher than they have ever been for anyone in your position before. How will you possibly meet and even exceed these expectations? Well, welcome to the first days of the reign of King Solomon, the son of David. Often we can find ourselves in circumstances that are over our heads. We don't know what to do, what we need, and how to solve the problems. Our insufficiencies show up and we feel inadequate, ashamed, even embarrassed at times that we can't accomplish what we're expected to do. The same can be said for spiritual situations. Solomon became king and felt overwhelmed, but the Lord was there to help. Now, the first point today is a covenant charge is given to a son. We find this in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, As for me, I am going to the way, the way of the, all the earth. Be strong and be a man, and keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn, and so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons take care to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you'll never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So we need to define the Law of Moses. The Law of Moses really can refer to both the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and the various aspects of the Mosaic Covenant contained in the Pentateuch. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3, the Law of Moses is most likely referring primarily to the Law Code in the book of Deuteronomy. The Law of Moses detailed how the Israelites were to live in covenant relationship with Yahweh. So as King David's death became imminent, who would be the successor to the throne? This question was answered in 1 Kings chapter 1. As David confirmed his son Solomon and had the prophet Nathan anoint him as king, As David's days progressed and his death drew closer, he sought to give one more word of instruction to his son. The term ordered here is the same term used to describe how God had appointed David to be king. It is also used in reference to Saul's failure to do what the Lord had commanded. In the same way, David was commanding Solomon and passing along the instruction of the law to guide and lead him in ruling God's people. 
There's a similarity with the transition from Moses to Joshua. In the same way that Moses gave the law to the people and then was succeeded by Joshua, so David had received the kingship of Israel and was now passing it along to Solomon with all the covenant responsibilities and promises that it had entailed. David's instruction to Solomon included a preamble and three commands. In the preamble, David metaphorically declared his impending death, going the way of all the earth. Describes the reality of death coming to all humankind and was the Hebrew way of speaking about moving into the afterlife. The first command of David to Solomon, Be strong, echoed God's command for Joshua to be strong and courageous. Here David was directing Solomon to lead by conviction as the king of Israel, because God had chosen Solomon to this role of king above his older brothers. Solomon was to lead with confidence and courage of God's blessing. Therefore, it was time for Solomon to grow up in maturity and be a man. The second command, he was the rightful and God-appointed heir to the throne. The third command, keep your obligation to the Lord your God, marked out the character Solomon was to have in his leadership. As king, the representative leader of Israel, Solomon was to obey God's law first and foremost. David further describes Solomon's obedience to God's law as being careful to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. And layering on the terms describing the law of Moses, which was God's law, David was trying to communicate to Solomon the need for obedience at every point. The law could not be sidestepped nor ignored. For this reason, God included as part of the law the command that a new king was required to write out a copy of the law himself and read it every day so that he would remember and obey it. With these commands, David then turned to the reason why Solomon needed to be careful to obey the law of Moses so he would have success in all the decisions he made as the king. This promise was linked to the covenant promise God made to Israel as they entered the promised land. If they obeyed God's law, they would enjoy prosperity and flourishing in the land. David understood that the principle that as the king goes, so the people go, and Israel's future success was largely dependent upon the character of the king. David added one more clause to explain why Solomon needed to obey God's law. This reason was personal, yet also covenant had to do with the covenant. If Solomon and his sons after him followed the law of God, then a son of David would always sit on the throne of Israel. The bar was set high. The expectations from King David, and ultimately from God, were laid out before Solomon. His faithfulness to the law of God would give him success as well as confirm the covenant relationship of God with his people. God has good reasons for demanding obedience from us. Whether we choose holiness or not is up to us, though. 
The second point in this lesson is a gracious offer is made to a son. We find this in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. The king went to Gibeon to, a, to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, Ask, what, I sh- should I, what should I give you? And Solomon replied, You've shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father's David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? We need to establish that high places were usually located on hills and mountaintops. High places were sites where worship and sacrifices were offered to deities. Upon their entry into the promised land, God commanded the Israelites to destroy all the high places dedicated to the Canaanites' false gods. Now, the high place at Gibeon seems to have been a tolerated exception, given that it was dedicated to Yahweh and contained the tabernacle and the altar of burnt offering. So Solomon, having now been established as the king in the wake of David's death, decided he was going to go make sacrifices to the Lord like the people were doing at various high places throughout the land. Gibeon, a city a few miles northwest of Jerusalem, had become the most popular high place for worship in all of Israel. Saul had built an altar there, the first altar built by a king of Israel. But the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 3-5 through also records that the tabernacle and its bronze altar were in Gibeon, though the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem. A first glance causes it to look as if Solomon's worship with a thousand burnt offerings was an abundant and appropriate. But, really, something was off. Solomon had dueling desires. On one hand, Solomon loved the Lord, following in the steps of David, But on the other hand, he disobeyed God by following the lead of the people and sacrificing on the high places and by taking a foreign wife from Egypt, no less. Solomon, like each of us, had a divided heart. Yet in spite of Solomon's disobedience, God's grace still poured down. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. This kind of appearance demonstrated Solomon's special standing before the Lord. God had previously revealed himself in visions and dreams to Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, and David. Distinct from prior visitations, however, God did not give instructions or commands, but invited Solomon to ask, What should I give you? This open-ended gift to Solomon stemmed from God's infinite grace 
and loved the son of David, not from anything that Solomon did or didn't do. Solomon's response to God's offer began with a focus on the faithful love of Hesed that God had shown David. This Hebrew term describes God's loyal covenant love toward his people. Solomon referred reflected on the truth that his father was the recipient of that steadfast love of God because God honors those who honor him. David had made it the pattern of his life to walk before the Lord in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. So God honored this man after his own heart, first by anointing him as king, then by making him king and also with a covenant that would impact his descendants. Solomon recognized himself to be the next recipient of that covenant love. Notice that Solomon didn't point to his lavish sacrifice or anything else he had done as the reason for his place on the throne. His circumstances were a fulfillment of God's promise to David to have a son on the throne. Solomon then went on to explain his rationale for what he would would eventually ask of the Lord. In being given David's throne and the responsibility that, that it carried, Solomon pointed out two significant challenges to his leading well, inexperience and abundance. Solomon understood that as a young man, he was inexperienced in serving as king. To be placed in this position was a gift of grace. But his resume wasn't very long. Solomon also noted that he was now king among the vast multitude of God's chosen people. Israel had been fruitful and multiplied and now numbered into the millions. Inexperienced and overwhelmed, Solomon needed to ask God to graciously provide the means for his success. He desired to lead well, so he had to be able to know what was good what was evil, and how to administer true justice. Therefore, Solomon asked for a receptive heart, literally a listening heart or an obedient heart, to possess the ability to discern between what is right, true, and good versus what is evil, false, and wicked, requires the skill of listening and getting underneath to the heart of the matter. Solomon understood that without this ability, No one would be able to serve as a good king over the people of God. And who better to ask for such knowledge than the all-knowing, omniscient God? So God is gracious and kind. He isn't stingy or miserly. He's the loving Father who invites us to come to Him and ask Him for what we need. The third point in today's lesson is a generous gift is given to a son. We find this in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, Because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has never been anyone like you before, and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. 
If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands, just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He went to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he held a feast for all his servants. Wisdom is usually understood to involve the study of life with the goal of learning how to live a good and successful life. However, Scripture declares that true wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. At its very essence, wisdom is spiritual in nature, begins with faith in God, comes from God, and involves the knowledge and understanding of God that leads to the living of a life of righteousness. God was pleased with Solomon's request for a receptive heart. Considering what Solomon could have asked for at this early point in his life, Solomon understood the Lord was more than a personal genie that gives whatever the human heart longs for. He rightly saw God as the sovereign and great I Am, the true king over Israel, and himself as the Lord's agent and servant to execute that reign. Solomon could have responded selfishly to God, but as we see, God noted that Solomon had asked for discernment for himself to administer justice. The ability and skill to lead and provide God's justice for God's people could only come from God himself. This request would bless and benefit all of the people of Israel. In being pleased with Solomon's response, God told the young king that he would do what Solomon asked. But the gift of God was even greater than the request that was made. God gave Solomon not just a receptive heart, but a wise and understanding heart, beyond merely being able to listen and discern what was good and evil. God gave Solomon wisdom. This is not simply knowing things, but is acting with wise justice. The blessings of this gift of wisdom to Solomon was really a profound grace. It was also abundantly beyond the bare minimum of Solomon's request. Solomon wanted the ability to perceive what was right and wrong to judge well, but God's gift of wisdom gave him the ability to act and carry out the implications of what was right and wrong for the good of others. He would be able to judge people and circumstances in truth and respond accordingly. And God still gave more grace not only would Solomon be given wisdom, he would be unique and famous such that there would never be anyone like him. His renown for wisdom would be unparalleled in history. Yet the Lord's blessings didn't stop there. Solomon had honored the Lord by asking for discernment to lead the Lord's people well. So God graciously gave him both riches and honor. By God's grace, Solomon would find himself to be the greatest of all human rulers during the time of his reign. But verse 14 hints at the potential for trouble on the horizon for Solomon. Instead of unconditionally promising long life, God reminded Solomon of his obligation to walk in my ways. Obeying God's commands, if Solomon followed the pattern of David's obedience to the Lord, then he would find himself enjoying a long life. But the opposite could also happen. If Solomon failed to obey, his life would be cut short. 
The narrative concludes with Solomon waking from his dream and returning to Jerusalem to worship God. In standing before the Ark of the Covenant and offering sacrifices in Jerusalem, likely what he should have done in the first place, Solomon showed gratitude and worshiped God and gave a feast for his servants. And in this, he followed in the steps of his father David. Solomon's actions reflected an understanding of God's provision, grace, and undeserved favor upon him. The gospel order, order is displayed here in that Solomon was given God's love and kindness first, even despite his misled actions. God's love and grace pours out freely first, and our response should always be true worship and be the giving of grace to others. We love because he first loved us. Because of God's grace, Solomon was truly equipped to lead the people of Israel. Yet he failed, as we will see in future sessions. Solomon was not the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises, but he points us toward the true Son of God who fully obeyed and fulfilled all of God's will and commands. I want to close this lesson today with a voice from church history. Martin Luther, who lived from 1483 to 1546, told us that we are accustomed to admit freely that God is more powerful than we are, but not that he is wiser than we are. To be sure, we may say that he is, but when it comes to a showdown, we do not want to act on what we say. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we just thank you for this lesson today that showed Solomon's wise choice to ask for God for wisdom in leading the people of Israel. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the wisdom and knowledge to, to understand what you would have us to do each day and that you would guide us with your Holy Spirit and direct us to those who are lost and help us to share what you've done for us. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting and sick this morning, that you would just touch them and be with them and lift them up, Lord. Restore them. Surround them with your love and grace and mercy. I pray for everyone that listens to this lesson, Lord, that you would just bless them with your grace and mercy. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.